For a very limited time, if you use coupon code RIDE at RoadID.com, you'll score $5 off one piece of gear no cyclist should ever ride without. Again, that's coupon code RIDE. And in case you're wondering, Road IDs range in price from a mere $20 to $35. So not only are they inexpensive, they look great, they last forever, and just might save your life. So stop procrastinating. Go get one of these today. Olympic medalist and Tour de France podium finisher coach Bobby Julik and outskirts visionary Gus Morton invite you to put your socks on. Winning and losing, training and racing, pro and not pro. All of it comes down to understanding what works and what doesn't. From insightful analysis into our sport's most iconic races and racers to entertaining, educational, and actionable advice, Fizzo is an illuminating deep dive into the art and science of bike racing. Be prepared to put your socks on. Welcome back to Put Your Socks On. I'm Bobby Julik, and as always, I'm joined by my trusty co-host, Gus Morton. Today we're talking about stage 13 in the 2019 Tour de France, and what a stage it was. A 27.2 individual time trial around Poe. Hey Gus, how was that today, huh? Bobby, how you doing? And uh, to all the listeners out there, how you doing? Mate, it was a fantastic stage today. It, uh, it went down to the wire and it was unexpected. Another good day in the Tour de France and setting things up for a nice third week. We have a jam-packed episode today. As usual, we've got the super fan. We're going to cover the stage and we're going to take a deep dive into bike technology and how far it's come in recent times with a very special guest aerodynamics expert Jesse Frank uh, from Specialized. So yeah, that's going to be fantastic. I do want to say something at the head of the show. Thanks everybody for listening uh, and for all the support. We are the fastest growing cycling podcast on the internet. We now have an email so that you guys can get in contact with us, send us your thoughts, ask us questions. Uh, Superfan at velonews.com. Alternatively, you can reach out to Bobby on Instagram at bobby.julik or myself, Gus, at That Is Gus. So we want to hear from you guys. We want you guys to ask us some questions. Uh, so yeah, get at us wherever you can. Before we talk uh, today's stage, this morning we saw the women's uh, La Course, Marion Voss, commanding win. Fantastic uh, late surge on the climb, and, and after her performance over the last week at the Giro Rosa, she's really showing that she's back at her absolute best. So nice ride there. Before we get on the rest of the show, Bobby, let's get our daily dose of Road ID Tour Trivia. All right. It's time for today's daily dose of Road ID Tour Trivia. To play, head on over to roadid.com slash TDF. Today's question, who is the first cyclist to win yellow, green, and polka dot jerseys all in the same tour? Go to roadid.com slash TDF to answer this question and score a chance to win today's daily prize, which is a Garmin Edge 830. One lucky winner will even take home a $10,000 BMC shopping spree. Again, that's roadid.com slash TDF. Let's talk about today's stage, probably the 27.5 kilometer time trial. Final TT kilometers of the tour. 
relatively short and we saw that there were there were time gaps but they weren't huge let's have a, a rundown yeah the tt days are are my favorite i used to always look forward to these and you know after the start of the tour that they've had so far this year i think that everyone did some fantastic rides today but ala philippe defending yellow and winning the tt what that man was by far the most impressive thing I've seen him do this year. Because when he when he attacks and in the classics and on a stage like in the San Etienne, it's kind of expected. But for him to pull out that sort of time trial in the yellow jersey with the weight of all of France on his shoulders, like he said in the press, man, where is the ceiling for this kid? I mean, he he he's just untouchable right now. That's exactly it. And he keeps saying, I mean, even post-stage, he said that he's not thinking about the overall. And you're just like, yeah, but everything you're doing <laughs> is moving you closer and closer to winning that jersey, right? He hasn't lost time, you know, bar a little bit of time in the team's time trial. He's always been on the front foot and, uh, and played down his chances. But man, like watching him today in that last kilometer of the time trial, he was coming into that final kilometer. It was showing him as six seconds up. And at the finish line, he finished 14 seconds up on Thomas. So incredible just burst of power on that final K. And it's showing that he's got, he's feeling fresh, obviously. Yeah. And, you know, we, we kind of predicted that maybe there would be some of those guys, those time trial specialists that would come out today. And to, it just goes to show you how different a time trial on the 13th stage of the tour really is. I mean, yes, a lot of those guys have been working a lot for their teammates and maybe weren't totally up for it today. But again, a great ride by Thomas DeGent. Breakaway specialist, obviously, is on the form of his life. I've never seen him do that sort of, that sort of time trial. Casper Askreen, who's basically been on the front for probably 50 or 60% of this tour so far, he was in the top 10. Joey Roscoff, great ride by Joey, ex-Hinkapi development rider. Love that kid. And Chad Haga. Chad Haga was one mm. of the first starters. I think he was fifth starter, and then I think he finished second. So he caught quite a few guys out there. So you had the time trial specialist versus the GC guys. And let's, let's just call a spade a spade here. Julian just ripped it. Thomas, very, very solid. I was a little bit concerned because he was sitting so far up on his saddle, losing a little bit of power. But, you know, coming off the track, he's probably used to that sort of stuff. But... Great ride by Rigoberto Oran, Richie Port, Stephen Kreiswick, Pinot, all in the top seven. Man, that tells me that there's going to be some fireworks when we come to the mountains. Because if these guys are able to do that sort of wattage on their time trial bikes and go that fast and beat some of the specialists, man, um, I think we're in for a real treat. This tour has been amazing. Yesterday was, a, you know, not so exciting, but man, we're back on par today with one of the best time trials of the, of the year. If these guys are going to want to win this race, and it's, it's going to have to be aggressive, they're going to have to attack often, because as we're seeing, like the time gaps aren't huge, right? You know, bar that one minute 40 that, uh, that a few of those guys lost, it, it's still up for grabs, right? And, and, you know, tomorrow, really aggressive stage again, short, sharp, one for the guys to get aggressive and, and go from the gun. So... This Tour de France is really shaping up to be um, to be an interesting one. Who were the biggest losers today? The biggest loser today was Walt van Aert. That was just very, very hard to watch. Mm. He was coming in with one of the best times, if not the best time, and that accident 
did not look good. He clipped that that barrier. He was cutting the corner so tight, and he just seemed to snag something there. And man, when there was that many people having that sort of reaction, you knew he wasn't going to yeah. get back up on his bike. So I feel really bad for him. His first Tour de France, hey man, you got a stage win and a team time trial win in your first Tour de France, and it's just a shame to go out in the ambulance. But this is the sport we're talking about. It's the highest of highs and the lowest of lows, and we just wish him a, a very quick recovery. But there was quite a few crashes out there. And take it from me, mm. I crashed twice in time trials in my whole life. Both of them were in the Tour de France, and both of them took me out of the race. So it just goes to show you, you know, you're on that razor's edge. You're trying to do, get the most out of the climbs, the most out of the descents. You know, take that half a second to a second in those corners. And it's a very fine line. And, you know, a couple guys uh, kind of had, had some issues today. Yeah, and you've seen that a lot. Like it was, a, it was a technical course, and more and more these races are won by small amounts of time. And and speaking yesterday with Oscar, you know, it's becoming that: how fast can you go downhill? How you know how how quickly can you go from being you know hard on the brakes through a corner back onto the pedals again? You know, so like it's about reducing these times of of um, of non-drive, and uh, and we're seeing that you know. <laughs> There's evidently going to be casualties of that, but you never want to see that, especially um, especially with White Van Aert. Fantastic Tour de France so far, and I mean, you know, despite going home in the back of an ambulance, he should be, he should go home with his head held high with a stage win like that and uh, a promising future ahead. Hundred percent. Who else lost on the? Let, just before we move on, let's see who else was kind of the big losers of today, um, and and you know, conversely, the big winners. Yeah, Bernal, uh, that was a little bit of a surprise, I thought, but maybe it's expected as well. He's not the the time trial specialist. He probably weighs 60 kilos soaking wet. Um, Who was the other? Nairo, not so bad. Could have been better. Um, The rest of the guys seem to perform quite well or as per expectations, really. You know, when you see Oran and Port and Kreiswick and Pinot up there in the front, Eric Maas did a great time trial, and it's, man, with the Decoyne Quick Step guys, with Alaphilippe and Maas, both up there in the GC, that, that, that's interesting. I mean, I think it's too early to start thinking about podium for either of those guys, but they've got some cards to play, to say the least. Let's move on, hear from our super fan. Super fan, you there? Super fan. Hey, guys, I'm here. Exciting stage today. Uh, Bobby, I enjoyed you walking us through the typical start routines for the riders on the last episode. I'm curious to hear from both of you, though. Uh, while you were warming up on the turbo trainer for individual TTs during your careers, what music were you blasting through your headphones to get motivated? Let's talk jock jams real quick. Thanks. Oh, boy. For me, um, I'm old school rap. Uh, Beastie Boys. Around, Run DMC. Naughty by Nature, all, all the old stuff that is probably, you know, my kids think is totally cringy by now. But I was a big Beastie Boy fan. I am still a big Beastie Boy fan. So I didn't have anything going on in my ears besides rap music. T- still to this day, you get in my car and um, that's all it is. And my, my kids kind of make fun of me for that. Oh, man, I've had over the years some pretty hurting, <laughs> some pretty hurting warm up playlists. What mainly involving like okay, so if we're gonna go back to the beginning, right? It was a lot of uh, a lot of new metal. So like we're hearing like there'd be corn. 
Limp Biscuit. What? System of a Down, Alien Ant Farm. Making all these waves and- like really shitty music. Like I can't believe that uh, I'm admitting all of this. And then more, and then and then it didn't really change much in terms of like the cheesiness. But it kind of moved more into towards the end of my career. It was just uh, it was just techno, just techno bangers like um, Tiesto, which yeah, like I guess that type of, of of music, which is so far from anything I would regularly listen to. Um, I mean, yeah, but it's definitely yeah, it's what I would. That's what worked for me. I mean, it didn't really work, I guess, because I never won a time trial. So <laughs> probably should have changed that up. But yeah, I uh, I have an embarrassing pre-race playlist i didn't recognize much of that music at all because you mentioned (laughs) dj tiesto i used to call him tiesto i didn't even know who he was and everyone would look at me and think that it was a joke that i didn't know the most (laughs) popular dj in the world and i'm like you don't need to know i'm like is his name chester what is this this guy's name i mean he played during the opening ceremony of the olympics one year as well right the guy from from uh holland there not the most musical person I was still to this day. <laughs> Let's talk about today's theme. And today's theme is technology. And, you know, the time trials are always where you're seeing the most kind of outrageous looking bikes, the kind of most aerodynamic, important technology because, you know, it's an individual effort. So you're, you're, you're faced against, you're, you're pitted against the elements in the most um, vulnerable way. Bobby, we've seen it change a lot over the years in bikes, you know, be it time trials, just road bikes. For you, what was the like the biggest game changer of a piece of tech that you added to your regime? Well, like I said, when I was very young, the the uh, the handlebars that was the big thing. You know, that changed everything yep. back in 1989. But I I definitely looked after myself, and I always wanted to have the fastest equipment. I was always looking for that that new little trick that new new thing out there. Um, I really liked the osymmetric chain rings that only myself and Chris Frome seem to be using these days. But I really like those not only for time trialing, but also for climbing. I mean, I, I used the camelback underneath the suit so that I would be, um, I'd have enough water and then I wouldn't have to take my hands off the bars uh, to, to get to it. I had, you know, the booties, the gloves, the fast wheels. I almost laugh when I think back to the technology that I thought was so cutting edge and then compare it to what these guys have now. I mean, they have skin suits that cost thousands of dollars. They've got 3D printed handlebars. They've got ceramic bearings, oversized pulley wheels on their derailleur, great tire and wheel combinations, very expensive chains, super aero helmets, and of course, the, the bikes themselves that cost between fifteen dollars and $24,000. I mean, that's like a Pinarello that, that, that Garrett Thomas was using today with those 3D painted handlebars yep. or uh, printed handlebars. With the wheels, with the power meter, with everything on there, you're looking over twenty grand. And you know the development in these bikes and the thought that goes into them, the engineering is is mind blowing. And we get to ride them maybe three percent of the year, maybe five percent of the year if you're if you're good and you actually train on your time trial bike as well. So most of the time, you know these machines, like a truckload of these machines, are 
you know, 250, 300 grand just sitting in the truck all the time. It's, it's crazy. It's really becoming like Formula One, right? When you're seeing some of these bikes out there and, and then not only like in, in road cycling, but if you look at triathlon as well nowadays, those bikes are like one piece frames and, um, completely ridiculous. So like in the, in, in the last 10 years, we've really seen the rise of, uh, of aerodynamic, like low wind speed um, or low speed, sorry, uh, wind tunnels and stuff, really enhancing the rider's equipment, and also in the in the athletes, you know, minds really demonstrating the importance of, you know, a flapping uh, a flapping sleeve or something like that is is costing you considerable amount of time. Um, we talked about this yesterday after the stage, Bobby, when we were, when we were. Um, briefing for today but you hear a lot of stories nowadays about guys getting super aero and getting worse you've got some experience with this do you want to kind of share because it seems to be all about aero but aero isn't everything right yeah you have to find that balance aero is not everything and it doesn't matter at all if you can't put the power on the pedals or hold that position and let me tell you i've been in a lot of wind tunnels and wasted a lot of hours and even days just to get out of the wind tunnel thinking that you had some major improvement in a rider only to have him change back to his original position like a few days later because he just couldn't hold that position. So arrow is not everything. And lower is not always more arrow either, depending on the rider. So a lot goes into that from the position check to the wind tunnel to the confirmation of that on the track. There's many, many things nowadays that that go into deciding your final time trial position and and, we, and like we saw today right for example roman Bardet on a regular road bike at the start there oh only the only dude to do the weird bike switch mid-race and also shipped a bunch of time what was he thinking what was he thinking i'm sorry i'm sorry you're not a specialist and in my opinion you'll never be a specialist and to mm. change bikes, I mean, he, he was already over a minute down and then he had a pretty slow bike change there and lost another 10 or 15 seconds and, you know, really didn't do that much. He was the only guy that changed his bike. I, I'm sorry, I, I don't support that at all. But looking at a guy like, like Bardet, who was one of the mm-hmm. big losers today, really, right? I think he lost over two minutes. Yeah. Um, he can improve or limit his losses by, you know, proper position, uh, you know, the right position, all this aerodynamic testing, all the attention to detail with the equipment, but you still got to push the pedals. And his physiology just is not very conducive to putting down the big watts. So I think that it's very, very um, uh, seldom that you can see a rider put out the big watts on the time trial bike and then also be one of the best climbers. But that's what makes the best guys the best is that they can do that. And it doesn't happen overnight. These guys put a lot of training in and test this equipment. You'll see guys riding their, their time trial bike a lot more than others. And you gotta, you gotta say, Hey, if, if these guys are doing more training on my time on their time trial bike and beating me, then maybe you should train a little bit more on your time trial bike as, as well. But guys like like Pinot, that guy has improved amazing leaps and bounds, not only in his descending like we talked about yesterday, but also in his time trialing. So I think you have to be really focused and work on your weaknesses and not just focus on your strengths. But a guy like Bardet, you know, I, he can climb really well. 
And he should probably just stick with that because I think it'd be very, very hard for him to become a specialist or um, any, any sort of GC threat in a time trial, anytime soon at least. Yeah, that was t- it's tough to watch him uh, do his thing in these races. I do want to ask you, you, sa- you said yesterday you mentioned negative splits and the idea of you know, getting faster uh, as the course goes on. I want to like I want to hear from you because I know that you, you you said to me that you don't use or you haven't really used in your piece often in time trials. Nowadays, I feel like there's got to be a lot of technology. There's you know there's programs out there that predict you put in your you know average your you put in your threshold or whatever power and it'll predict it out over the course. I want to kind of get a feel for like you know what was say Team Sky? What technology were they using today in order to make sure that the Geraint Thomas was right on that line that he needed to be at physically throughout the course? Well, I think, I mean, obviously he had a pacing uh, strategy there and, you know, they put it all into a GPS and, and use some really cool predictive software. Um, best bike split is, is one that I've looked into that is super interesting. The, the guys that, that created and run that software is, is, is mind-blowing how close they can come but on a time trial like this today where there was those ups and downs you know the rider has to know where where those points on the course where he can go over his threshold or into the red zone and then where he can recover from that and that's always tricky right because in a time trial if you overcook it at the wrong time you can't recover without going slower and that's totally counterproductive to time trialing right so you definitely have to know the course. And I'm sure all those guys recon that course even before this morning. They knew what was coming and they maybe adjusted their training to, uh, to suit that sort of particular course. If you didn't do that, you were losing time today because it was a little bit more technical and up and down than, than I originally thought. But yeah, these guys had it dialed. They knew what they were doing. Some guys ride directly to power. I rarely used and maybe it was because you didn't have time trial or power meters on time trial bikes back then because they were so expensive but i didn't use power or really ride to power i rode more on sensation and speed and that that was maybe a a disadvantage sometimes but also an advantage sometimes because when you're doing time trials sometimes you get done with the time trial and you think oh man there's no one that's going to beat my time and then you get to your soigneur and they, they kind of looking down at the ground and you find out, found out that you lost a minute. And then there's other time trials <laughs> where you get done thinking, oh my gosh, I just got blown out of the water and then you wind up winning. But yes, holding that race pace and learning where you can go over and then recover from that over in the course is super, super important. Um, even back in the Olympics, I didn't have a radio and I didn't have a power meter. I just went on what I thought I needed to do. And it was funny when I went back and looked at the time splits after the first out section, I think I was seventh, then I was sixth, then I was fifth. And then on the, the run-in, um, I, I was able to go from, from fifth up to third and eventually second. So I think it's just for the specialists, it's almost an internal kind of um, RPM and internal motor that tells you how far you can push it but if you b- blow the pistons through the hood especially in the beginning you're going to be limping home and, and just just oozing time to your competitors by the end on that let's hear from uh we have jesse frank from the specialized the human performance engineer at specialized on the phone jesse how are you i'm doing well can you guys hear me okay 
Yeah, man, got you loud and clear. How you doing? I'm great. I'm uh, at an Aussie-inspired coffee shop in New York City, just for you. I'm not quite sure what makes it Aussie-inspired other than the Vegemite on the counter, but we're here. <laughs> we're having a good day. Firstly, I guess I wouldn't mind sort of hearing what exactly does the uh, human performance engineer do? That is the question that my parents always want me to answer as well, so they can tell their friends. Uh, the easiest way for me to describe it, I think, in kind of a, a one-sentence description is I use aerodynamics and physiology to make our athletes and our products as fast as possible. So most people probably know if they listen to this podcast that Specialized has their own wind tunnel. We call it the wind tunnel without the D. And so I get to run that facility when our athletes are in, whether it's quick step or Bora or Bulls Goldman's or our pro triathletes. I uh, get to work with them in the tunnel to make sure they're as aerodynamically comfortable as possible and biomechanically correct on the bike. And then we also have our own human performance lab where we can look at the physiology of the rider and also how our products affect that internal physiology for the rider. We saw Alaphilippe win today uh, against all odds. Have you worked with him in the wind tunnel? Has he spent a lot of time on his position? And obviously, I mean, the bike and stuff has been, you know, it's a, it's a new bike. So you're developing these products in conjunction with the team? I personally have not done any work with uh, Philippe in the tunnel. I've only been at Specialized for just over two years. Um, he hasn't been through yet. I've worked with Casper Asgreen, who I saw, like, I think, top 10. Um, I wasn't able to watch the stage because I just got to New York today. But uh, we do work with the teams to help develop products. We get rider feedback all the time on what they like, what they don't like, with previous versions of prototypes. Um, and then when they come to the wind tunnel, if we have a, a working prototype of the bike, they'll get to go out and ride it with our engineers and product managers and, and give real-time feedback. And what's the most exciting or the, like the kind of the area that's burgeoning the most in technology and, and bikes today? You know, I'm, I'm not quite sure it's an actual piece of technology. I think we see with, with where carbon is right now, you know, five years ago, we saw this big leaps in aerodynamics as we got to understand how to work with carbon and we could change the shape and actually have minutes of a, of a difference between bikes. Um, we don't have quite as much room for improvement now that carbon's kind of at its limit and we're still figuring out what's next. Um, but it kind of goes back to what Bobby was talking about earlier in this podcast and how aero is not everything necessarily. Uh, don't let my bosses hear me say that, so that is plastered all over our wind tunnel. <laughs> Uh, but really, body position and getting to understand how the, the rider interacts with the bike. As Bobby was saying, lower might be more aero for some riders, but it's not necessarily more comfortable. Uh, but it might be aero in the wind tunnel for two to five minutes, but you get out on the road and you pedal for you know 20Ks and you're coming up out of the aero bars every, every 5K. That's overall not more aerodynamic. And so what we're trying to do is actually hook up a, a metabolic part to measure oxygen consumption and metabolic efficiency in different handlebar stack heights. So basically have a rider go low and high and see if, if their internal efficiency changes, if they're consuming more oxygen, and then take those same stack measurements into the wind tunnel and compare the aerodynamics to see overall what's going to be fastest metabolically and aerodynamically. So it's becoming, it's, 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 it's sort of combining both the, uh, both the bike and the human is seamlessly impossible nowadays. Exactly. You know, if you think about F1 racing, like you were talking about earlier, a car has an engine and a human yep. has a driver. In cycling, the human's the engine and the driver. So we get, we get to work with that. And how's like, you know, like we're seeing, you know, I mean, we, like people wear booties, they wear aero helmets, all this sort of stuff. How, like as a system, for example, like 
because I understand that you know you might have an aero helmet, but that or an aero wheel, but it may not work necessarily perfectly with a certain frame, or it may not work with certain tires, or so. How is that also like that side of things in con- creating a complete system? Yeah, it's it's, it's definitely a challenge. Uh, so at Specialized, we have kind of two aero guys. Uh, my colleague Ingmar does a lot of the theoretical CFD. Um, online side of the aerodynamics, and I do a lot of the, the benchmark testing. And so you really have to take into account the whole system, right? Uh, a wheel can be really fast on its own, but the way it interacts with the fork or the down tube um, can have a huge effect. And if you look at Specialized's new Shiv TT disc, which Alaphilippe rode to victory today, if you look at the rear wheel, you'll notice there's actually a, a bit of space between the seat stay and, and the rear wheel, which is pretty new for TT bikes. and for us, we found that with a disc wheel and having that open space didn't have a big effect in aerodynamics. But having that open space allowed us to have a more comfortable ride and have the bike be a bit stiffer more, uh, and more comfortable for the rider. Um, so again, it's, it's looking at aerodynamics and its overall bike uh, comfort and response to the rider. We mentioned Bardet earlier in the sense that like, how would you make that guy fast? We have a question like if, you know, anyone, for example, Bade came to you t- tomorrow and was like, I want to go faster. Where do you start? The first thing I would do is the first we'd give him a, a full retool fit and make sure, you know, his position is good for his biomechanics, make sure he's not too low based on his flexibility or too narrow or what have you. Then I'd put him through our metabolic fit protocol to check on his internal efficiency uh, and then bring him in the tunnel and First thing we do is change stack height, try and find that that sweet spot where he's aerodynamic but still comfortable. Um, and then, and then the most important thing right now in terms of body position is focusing on the shrug. And that's a three-part step, which a lot of the pros pros do, and that involves dropping the head as low as possible, almost as if there's a suction cup attached to your chin that's pulling your head towards the ground. And then it's bringing your shoulder blades together to decrease that frontal area, and then shrugging your shoulders towards your ears. And I can tell you it's not a very comfortable position, but it can be fast for very flexible people. And so that's probably the, the lowest hanging fruit that we can look at on our athletes is just that shrug position. And whether an athlete can do that comfortably in the wind tunnel for the first time, it's great if they can. And if not, it's just like increasing your power. You just train 20 or 30 minutes twice a week, you know, on that position on an easy day and, and try and get that shrug down. Yeah, knowing now, um, that you guys have actually redesigned the shiv. I'm I'm interested because when I was on a team that we were quite involved with the development of that bike, and that was about ten years ago. So what what differences have you made, just really quick, from the old shiv that you used for basically ten years and the new one that Alaphilippe won the Tour de France stage on today? Sure, sure. And so, like I was saying earlier, you know that difference is ten years ago to now. There's hasn't been much improvement. There has been improvement in farming technology, but that difference between the old bike and the current bike probably wasn't as big as people expected. Right? I, I believe in our, our press release, we said it was just as fast as the old bike. And so what we really focused on this time was comfort of the bicycle. And so we were able to drop those rear seat stays lower, which improves aerodynamic a little, aerodynamic a little bit, um, but also allows for a little bit more compliance for the rider. We really focus on the cockpit and the fork up front. You'll see the fork uh, is a bit uh, uh, deeper profile. It's help with aerodynamics up there. Um, and then just making the cockpit more, more comfortable for the riders. That was one of the biggest pieces of feedback was getting a little bit of tilt on those, on 
those uh, aerobots for the riders. Mate, thank you so much. Appreciate your time, and uh, yeah, appreciate you having having you on the show. It's been a, it's been a pleasure. Perfect. Thanks for having me, guys. I appreciate it. Thank you, Jesse. No worries, mate. Cheers. Nice. That was interesting stuff there. Uh, interesting. You're talking about the shift they made. You know, ten years ago was almost as quick as as nowadays. They've just gone for more comfort. So it's showing you that those guys are. Uh, on the cutting edge and that they're sort of looking for the next big advance in uh, in bike technology. Yeah, let's face it. Comfort is very, very important, but it is still a time trial bike. So don't get out there and think that it's going to be like sitting on your couch. You still need to go out there and train. <laughs> and one of the real interesting things that he said, which which is very important, is that, that shrug that he was talking about. Mm. Look at Tony Martin, the way that he can collapse his scapula and just basically roll his shoulders forward, reducing his CDA. That didn't happen overnight. I'm sure he trained that for many, many, many years to get that sort of flexibility in his shoulder blades. But you look at a guy like him on a time trial bike and you're like, oh, wow, this guy is just small. But then you see him Mm. walking down the hallway and he's like an NFL linebacker coming at you. He's, He's broad. But he's taught his body to do that shrug, which is super important for aerodynamics. Let's move on to tomorrow and talk uh, and talk what is going to be an absolute epic stage, stage 14 of the tour. A short 117k climb up the Tourmalet, just a quick little quick pop up the Tourmalet on a Saturday morning. Yeah, it's going to be a doozy uh, from Tarb to the Tourmalet. <laughs> Like you said, 117.5 kilometers, an eight-kilometer neutral start. This is a big GC day and potentially very, very dangerous to the guys that have GC aspirations. We always see the shorter, more intense stages make the racing much more aggressive. I ask myself the question, why don't they do this more often? Because it's super exciting, super exciting. So yes, it'll be a fast start. Look for teammates from the GC favorites to try to jump into that early break to get over the, the well, we have one cat four and then a cat one, and then we finish on the horse category tourmalade. So look for them to kind of launch on that first cat four to kind of stabilize and provide support on that Cat 1, the Sulor, and that's at 60.5 kilometers. But if you have some teammates in between the Sulor and the Tourmalet, that's going to be a major advantage. You're going to want that. So look for those GC guys, you know, kind of staying put at the beginning. But then I would say on the Sulor and then especially on the Tourmalet, we're going to have to see some fireworks because you're not going to be able to make up the time that you lost in the team time trial on that windy stage or maybe even in the time trial today by just sitting on the wheels. You have to go out and take, take the race by the scruff of the neck and, and make it happen. So we're, we're, we're in for a good one, for sure. This, this tour just keeps on getting better. It does, and I think you know these, these short stages, as you said, really hard to control. So we're going to see some, uh, I think, a few spanners thrown in the works. Mountain points, big day for Wellens tomorrow. What do you reckon? Do you think he can... Uh, do you think he can hold on to, to the jersey in the next few days? Yeah, I think he, he can. He's going to be one of those guys that jump into that breakaway and definitely try to get the points on the Sulor. I don't think he'll be around for the Tourmalet, and there's obviously big points on the Tourmalet. The Tourmalet is actually what the, the highest paved road in the Pyrenees, so you're going to see fireworks from the climbers because that's that's their terrain right that's that's their bread and butter um you know the the sprint is a little 
right, you know, right before the, the, uh, the, right after the Salur, right before the, the Tourmalet. So I don't yep. think there'll be many guys. You could probably see, never count out Peter Sagan going into that first move yeah. and getting over that climb and, and getting all those points. But um, tomorrow is the GC day. We need to see guys yep. like Fulsong, Pino, Landa, Bardet, the, the guys that are a little bit further down on GC, they, they have to do something. But then, you know, it's always the question of doing too much too soon. You can't make everything back at once. You got to be chipping away, chipping away. So look at guys like, like Richie Port, you know, to start inching mm-hmm. his way up the GC because he did a fantastic time trial today. Um, Pino, um, you know, he's, he's my favorite for tomorrow. I think that he's going to light it up and, the Sky, uh, I'm sorry, the Ineos riders, Thomas and Bernal, you know, there's, there was a question answered today. You know, Thomas took over, over a minute, a minute 20 out of, out of Bernal, I believe. So yep. that kind of makes things a little bit easier. And Thomas, all he has to do tomorrow is follow. I don't think he needs to be super aggressive. He's going to have to respond to those attacks by the aforementioned riders, but I don't think he has to go on the offensive. And as we saw last year, when he's in that sort of situation, he's very dangerous at the top of those those mountaintop finishes, and they're finishing in at over uh, two thousand meters tomorrow. Yeah, he was uh, he's looking rock solid. So I think it's going to be exactly that. It's going to be a day for him just to follow. Can the Tour de France be won tomorrow? Will the Tour de France be won tomorrow? Or you know, is there still a long long way to go? It's always tricky doing a hilltop finish, mountain finish after a time trial, because remember those guys were on their time trial bikes all day today you know Mm -hmm. for the recon for the warm-up for the race and you never know that that little difference in position could make you a little bit sore for the next day you know luckily they they do have a pretty decent run out of the the stage with the neutral and then just the cat four and then finally 60k into it they start doing the the real climbs but it's always tricky there's a variable right there that you have to think about but can it be one tomorrow i don't think that because it's a short stage, because it's an aggressive stage, I don't think we're going to see massive gaps. And I think it's just confirming their positions, in the pecking order in the GC. Will we see a surprise? You never know. But if you do that, you better be have teammates up the road, use them wisely, and then take that chance, that, that Hail Mary, that, that haymaker that we were talking about a couple of days ago. We've seen um, Quintana and, and um, his name is Contador. Going a long range raid in the in the Vuelta, we've seen um, uh, Froome do it in the Giro. Um, we saw Chrysler uh, attempt it here last year, so it's definitely becoming you know a move that uh, that is being inspired uh, amongst the GC guys, and so hopefully we see some inspired riding tomorrow. Yeah, you got to figure risk versus reward. The the guys that you mentioned uh, just now, that was in the third week of the tour. That was like in the the, the second to last mountain yep. stage or even the last mountain stage when things were like totally desperate. Now, mm-hmm. now guys have to play their cards a little bit closer to their chest, to be honest. But you never know. This Tour de France has been full of surprises so far. It has been. It has been. And Bobby, nice show. Thank you so much. Very interesting stuff. And tomorrow is going to be another cracker of a day. Hold on, Gus. Hold on, Gus. You gotta, you gotta give us your predictions. I, I gave my prediction is Thibaut Pinot, and you know I'm not very good at these predictions. So let's, let's hear yours. Okay, okay. I'm going with Mikael Lander. He shed a bit of time today. He's always on the attack, and yeah, he's sort of one of those guys that if he's not first, he's last. I feel like so tomorrow, I think could be a good day for him to bag a win. And one last question: Will 
Julian Alaphilippe hold on to yellow? Oh, that is the golden question. Yes, I predict. I predict he will. I think that he has demonstrated that he's got. You know, he's feeling good and uh, and and he's courageous. He's not afraid of uh, of the jersey. Not afraid of these big guys. So bring it on. I say. I'm gonna go the other way. I'm gonna play devil's, yeah. devil's advocate here. I think that today was his last hurrah. He put so much into that. There was so much pressure on him. I think he he gives up the yellow jersey tomorrow to, I, I believe, Garrett Thomas. I think that sort of climb, after all the energy that he's put out these, these first 13 stages, it's just going to be a, a little bit too much for him. But, man, he has nothing to be ashamed about. He has had an amazing <laughs> tour. I may be wrong. No, he, I may be wrong. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in. Keep listening. Uh, as I said before, too, you can contact us, superfan at velonews.com. Shoot us questions uh, that you would like us to, to discuss in the show or get at us on social media at Bobby Julet and at That Is Gus. Thanks again. Take care until tomorrow. Bobby? Thanks, everyone. And don't forget to put your socks on.